Deuteronomy, and it's Deuteronomy chapter 4, and it starts on verse 5. So if you're new, underneath the seat in front of you is actually a Bible, a black one. So it's page 179. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today. And now you're going to go on just a few pages to 182, page 182, and it is chapter 6. And again, this one starts on verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols to your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Goodness. Good morning, everybody, and good morning to you on YouTube, tuning in from wherever you are. So, as Scott said, week four in our continuing series um, on God's command to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your... I can't even read it up there. You can read that, can't you? What's up there? So we're in week four, and that's our guiding scripture. And today we're looking at, now I can read that, with all your mind. I made that in red so that it would be very clear. 
And we're looking at loving with all our mind and trying to develop godly habits because that's the other part of the series that we're doing. And the godly habits that we're connecting with today are scripture and technology. Two of my absolutely favourite things. Scripture, love it. Technology, love it. Not long after I became a Christian, I considered doing some more formal study, more than just reading the Bible every day, as I had, um, as had become my habit, more than listening to sermons. But people said to me, oh, don't do that. All you really need to do is trust Jesus, because basically you will just be too academic and it will be too dry, and so don't do that, because people who do that, they don't have, like, living faiths. But... At that time, I thought, oh, okay, I'm listening to all these wise people, so I didn't do it. But eventually, I did do a theology degree. I didn't do it because I wanted to be in ministry or I wanted to do this or I wanted to do that. I just did it because I wanted to know God better. And I had a hunger for his word, and so I enrolled. And I was doing an essay one night, and I didn't manage to find the question because it was a very big experience that happened to me. Click the next slide, Alan. Oh, black is good. Okay, so this was my essay. According to the book of Deuteronomy, is the land of Canaan a gift or a reward for obedience? What are the implications for Christian ethics? Oh my goodness, how academic. In what way was this going to make me a warm, fuzzy Christian? Well, interestingly, as I was in front of the computer, which was Hughes? Because this was the days when the monitors were like this big, right? And the, and the towers took up a whole area on you. In fact, they didn't fit into those little tower slots that they used to have in the computer desk. And I was clacking away because the, the keyboards all went clack, 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 clack. Every key made a noise. And I was clacking away and I was referencing a passage. I was reading Deuteronomy and I was referencing it down here. And suddenly, as I read Deuteronomy, the words of the scripture and the words that I'd been reading overwhelmed me with the love and the grace of God in the, in the scriptures there in Deuteronomy and I found myself weeping in response to how great the love and the grace of God is. I had a spiritual experience reading that. I had to keep clacking away because as always I was running late, always running late, but even as the word of God was doing a work in my mind, it was also doing a work in my heart. It was doing a work everywhere. And I can tell you it was doing a work in my mind because I did get a high distinction for that essay. Thank you. And not only did I get a high distinction from the essay, but I had that experience that that essay had caused me to read Deuteronomy in a way that I had never read it before. And I think this verse from Psalm 119 sums it up. I'll praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. This is the memory that came to me as I came to prepare for what it means to love the Lord your God with all your mind. It's a memory that ties hearts and minds together. And scripture, heart, mind, scripture, and if we consider my old clucking computer, technology, which we'll come back to later. And that's absolutely perfect. Perfect memory for the day. But we're gonna start with the obvious question. What is the mind? What comes to your mind when I say, what is the mind? And where do the emotions fit in to the mind? I looked up a definition 
for the word mind. I didn't write the whole definition, but this is from Encyclopedia Britannica, and I looked at those words. And then if you look at the ones that are circled, you think emotions, unconscious, desires. Even the Encyclopedia Britannica can't separate out the mind from the emotions, the mind from the heart. I don't think anybody can really separate them out. But there is a mind and there is a heart. So for today, we're going to do that. When I was writing the uh, Deuteronomy essay that day, the whole of me was in on that, the whole of me. I was thinking it and I was feeling it. There was no part of me that wasn't engaged in that process. So I'm going to go with this. It's a part of you that thinks. It's a part of you that learns. It's a part of you that decides. And it's a part of you that knows. We use our minds to think, learn, decide, and know. And I'm going to drill down a little further. I'm going to look at how do we use our mind to love and to know God, but also how do we use our mind to love and work for God? How do we use our mind for that? So first, to know him. First of all, if you're going to know someone, I'm assuming the basic premise is you want a relationship with them, whatever that relationship is. So you want to know this person. To love someone, you're going to have to use your mind to learn about them. Even if you meet someone and you have a gut reaction to them, you know when you meet people and you just have an experience? It's your mind that processes, do I turn and run or do I pursue this? I need to check in on my gut reaction here. My mind will check in on whether my feelings or my gut reaction is accurate. You'll be testing it. So when it comes to loving God with all your heart, and all your mind, you'll want to know about him. What is he like? What has he promised? How does he feel about stuff? How does he feel about things? What are his plans? And where do I fit in to all of those plans? And you won't get that sort of information about God by vibing it. You won't just stand there and say, okay, and it all come down and you experience it. Glennis read to us from Deuteronomy where Moses is teaching the Israelites God's commandments and telling them that they have a God that's near to them and that wants them to be a wise and understanding people. Because he's near to them and he wants them to be wise and understanding, and because he speaks to them, they should talk about that all the time. They should tell their children about it. They should carry it around with them. They should write it everywhere. Everybody should know about it. They should wear it on their foreheads, and that meant they should think about it all the time, and they should have it on their, bind their hands, and that means they should do it. There's something should flow from that. From the beginning, God's people were to know him and reflect him. And eventually, they were to know him even better than that, even better than in those words of Deuteronomy, which was pretty all in, wasn't it? This is the way you respond to me. That was a lot that God required of them. Everything would find its fulfillment in the death and resurrection of Jesus because Israel failed to, in the end to do what God asked them to do. So Jesus did it for them. And so we read this quote in Jeremiah in Hebrews. This is the covenant I'll make with them after that time, says the Lord. I'll put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. How would he do that? How would he do that in a way that he hasn't done it before? By the power of the Holy Spirit. 
because he also prophesied that he would send the Holy Spirit and pour it out on men and women and that Jesus would ask the Father and that the Father would send the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth that was, would lead us into all truth. So in our quest to love God and to know him and our quest to love him with all our minds, we read and study the scripture and we need the Holy Spirit to help us and show us the truth through that. To take our head knowledge, to take what we're reading and by the power of the Spirit, bring it down into our hearts so that our hearts are changed. And that's why Paul can so confidently say in Romans, because he knows it's a possibility, don't conform to the pattern of the world. You don't have to, it's a possibility. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't just stand there and say, okay, it doesn't work. Be transformed in the way that you think. And when you're transformed in the way that you think, then you'll be, you won't be conforming. You'll be transformed. And that transformed will be, move to your heart and you'll prove his good, pleasing and perfect will. So we find out about God and we allow our minds to be renewed by God and not by the world around us. And as we do that, our head knowledge becomes heart knowledge. They're not separate. It's just becomes, we're transformed into who we are. Now we're going to have a look at two ways then to read the scripture. If I need that scripture by the power of the Holy Spirit to be transformed in this way, how should I read it? I'm assuming that you're going to be reading it for relationship. Okay, I went to college and studied for relationship, not because I wanted to get a degree in theology. That was just a happy byproduct. What it did was it changed my relationship. And I'm assuming when you read the scripture, that's what you want. If that's not your motive, then you start there. I need to, I need a, I made a better reason for this. I want relationship with God. So we read, first of all, for transformation. One way to read is hoping that God will speak directly to us through what we're reading today, through this scripture. Here in Psalm 119, and you know Psalm 119 is very, very, very long, and it says lots and lots and lots of things about the Word of God, so you should go there and have a look at that. But here's just a few things that the Word of God does for us. It blesses us as we seek Him, protects us, God protects us, encourages us, comforts us, directs us, teaches us, perhaps speaks directly into a situation that we're struggling with a situation that's difficult, a situation that, that we're praying about. He rebukes and he corrects us. And so most of us are familiar with reading the Bible that, day, that way in our devotionals and even in our Bible studies when we're studying, sometimes we're looking, what will this word say to me today and help me to live my life? And that is a wonderful way to read the scripture. Another way to read the scripture and they can't be separated, they both happen. Another way to read the scripture is to approach it with a desire to establish a whole framework of truth, God's whole story. Not just a verse of the day, not just proof texts, not just answers to tricky, curly Christian questions or a list of propositions, but a full-orbed, spirit-led understanding of who the triune God is and what his plans are for the world as Father, Creator, Sustainer. Who is he as Son, Saviour, Lord? Who is he as Spirit, Advocate, Comforter? 
a vision of how he's worked in history in Jesus Christ, of what he'll do when he comes back, of what we're supposed to do as individuals and as the people of God while we're waiting for him to come back. A picture of the love and the compassion that he has for you, for his church, but not just for you and his church, for the whole world, for all the people that are crying out for a relationship that makes sense to them, that gives them an identity in the loving creator God through Jesus. And in that, we can ask questions. God is robust. He loves us. He wants to answer our questions. And he wants to answer our doubts and difficulties. He's the one that gave us questioning minds. He's the one that gave us minds so that Jeremiah is comfortable asking this question of God. You're always righteous, Lord, when I bring a case before you. Yet I will speak with you about your justice. I have a question about some of those things. I was assuming you're righteous, but that didn't look like a good answer to me. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? Do you ever wonder about that? Why it works for some people and not for other people? Ask God. He has the story. He, wait, he may not always answer you, but he can take your questions. Then, when our culture asks us questions or challenges our beliefs, and is our culture doing that? Is our culture asking us questions and challenging our beliefs? When our culture does that, we have a firm foundation. We don't just give them a list of rights and wrongs. This is right, this is wrong. This is a good thing, this is a bad thing. We don't do that. We don't water down the gospel. We don't need to water down the gospel. Do you ever feel in the challenge of current culture that like, oh, wow, Jesus' death and resurrection for our sin sounds pretty harsh? I wonder how I can soften that. We don't need to do that when we have this picture, who this God is, what he's created and what his plans are for it. And when bad things happen to us, or when they happen to others, we go to God first. Because quite often when bad things happen, we don't go to God first, we go to God last. When all our efforts to control the situation or the circumstances have failed, or our efforts to calm ourselves down, or whatever it is that's happened have failed, oh, I guess I'll go to God with that. When we live in this story, we go to God straight away. We go to God first. And then we're always ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. Because we're living not just with daily tidbits of who God is, as wonderful as they are, but we're living in a huge story that doesn't answer every question that we have, but which gives us a firm foundation. So, always be prepared out of this big story. So that's using our mind to know God in two different ways, reading the scripture, in two different ways. But what about using our mind to work for God? So in creation, God put Adam and Eve in the garden and they weren't to sit around looking at their navels or trying to work out their identity because they already had one. They already had an identity. They were the pinnacle of God's creation. They were his loved, beloved people. And they would have to use the minds to do what God answered, asked them to do. Order the garden. Do something in this garden. Name the animals. They had to use their minds to do it. Now think about your work. But don't, if you don't work, think, well, I don't work. 
Because I'm talking about work as what you do from the time you get up in the morning till the time you go to bed. You all have areas of responsibility. Even if your only area of responsibility is getting your own meals all day, that's still your area of responsibility. You need to do that to the glory of God. How do you do that to the glory of God? So think about everything that you do all day and the choices that you will make that day. In order to be able to fulfill the responsibilities that you have to the glory of God, you're going to have to make some choices along the way. And a lot of those choices will come out of the choices that you make with your mind. At our staff meetings, we've been studying Philippians. And this week, these verses were part of our reading. And God is at work in us, but to allow him to transform us so that we do everything we have to make some choices when we read passages like this. Now, if you are regularly in relationship with God and you're asking for him to help you, you will naturally become someone that grumbles less and argues less and becomes more loving and more kind because that's the promise. When you abide in Christ and his Holy Spirit is dwelling in you, this organically will happen. But every so often you will notice actually, well, I'm I'm grumbling, I'm arguing, I'm this, I'm that, I'm not doing this, this doesn't look good on me. What will I do about that? How do you manage that? Some of you may have heard of Brother Lawrence. Have you heard of Brother Lawrence who wrote The Practice of the Presence of God? Here's an excerpt. How can one be in a spirit of prayer even while peeling potatoes? So that might be your area of responsibility. That was his. That is how... How can a person commune with God even while performing the most mundane tasks? His answer, practice. More specifically, the practice of the presence of God. So whatever work God has given us, whatever area of responsibility, whatever we do when we get up in the morning, we, to do it well, we need to practice his presence with us by developing habits. Practice is just another word for habits in some ways. And when we develop and practice godly habits, they flow over into our work. So have a look at the Godly Habits book. I'm not going to stand here and read out all the tips for Godly Habits and you'll be able to share some after in the open mic. Have a look at how to read scripture. Increase. What's your next step in engaging with your mind in the scripture? Now, at the beginning, I said that the memory of that essay tied together hearts, minds, scripture, and technology. And we've done three of them, but where does the technology actually fit in? Well, a big part of that memory for me was that old computer. I had all the software I needed, including the Bible. Back then, what my setup was pretty snazzy. I loved computers from the moment someone gave me an old 286 and I started coding in DOS. I loved my first laptop because I could do it on my lap. I remember my first mobile phone. I almost needed a trailer to take it with me. It was like a brick. My children had their own computers before anyone else, their own, because I used to build them, because I used to work in IT and so I had all these spare parts, so I used to put them all together and they had computers early. And I still love technology. I can't get enough of it. Does it ever get in the way? Does it ever come, become a distraction? Yes, yes it does. I have to control it. But not just the technology itself. It's not just about the technology. Because all technology is, is just the application of scientific knowledge for practical purposes, just like in the garden. Adam and Eve worked stuff out and practical speakers, 
factual outcome of that was they gardened. Well, you know, I'm being a bit liberal there with the way I look at that, but just they had to do something in the garden and they had to work out how to grow stuff and what was good for food. So let me tell you about chocolate. That's chocolate. For thousands of years, the Central American, the cent people of Central America grew and harvested cacao beans from which we get chocolate. They had applied knowledge to do it efficiently. Nice outcome. It didn't become popular in Europe until the 16th century when they added sugar to counteract the bitterness. But it still couldn't be produced in mass amounts, so it was mainly consumed by rich people. And their desire for chocolate created a absolutely thriving slave market. Bad outcome of technology. The Industrial Revolution happened, and that resulted in increased production, and chemists worked out ways of changing the flavour and the consistency of chocolate. Amazing! Because now more and more people wanted to eat it, and more and more people, and it could be produced. It was produced in factories. What were the factories of the Industrial Revolution like? Bad outcome. Bad outcome. Bad result of technology. And companies like Lindt, Nestle, Fry, they were all involved in the development and marketing, even back then, of chocolate for the consumption of the masses. And they're still working on it. There's a huge investment, isn't there, in keeping chocolate front and centre. There's a chocolate for everyone. It's absolutely ubiquitous and not particularly good for us if we eat too much of it. But they keep it there for us, don't they? Eat a bit more, eat a bit more, eat a bit more. Bad result when you eat too much of technology, cotton mills, coal mines, component productions for companies like Apple. Technological applications that have negative aspects because most beneficial applications of scientific knowledge have a negative side. Because not everybody is wanting to honour and glorify God. Not everybody wants to worship God with their whole heart, soul, strength and mind. And so they use it to their own ends, usually for financial gain, often for power. And what we call modern technology, computers and smartphones and devices and the streaming services and the software that control them, had its beginning in what's really just a creative ordering of things that had the Lord had put into the creation. People just, with their scientific knowledge, worked out how to put these things together and make them do that. How people then use them that's a whole separate issue. In the booklet that uh, Scott has written, thank you for doing that, I can tell you how many people say this has been amazing. So if you aren't using this, you need to use it. In the booklet, he writes in the technology section that we have just the same issues with old technology as new technology. So old technology might be printed material, a new technology you might think of as computers. That's not all that technology is, but we'll just put it into that. So let's look at that. Printed material is old technology, but it can have damaging content. Content that does not honour God and leads us down a path of misery. Books don't throw themselves off the shelves at us, so we actually have to select, use our minds for that, but billboards, posters, things that come into our letterbox, these are all old tech that can impact the way that we think and change our behaviour. And really, an addiction to printed pornographic material is just as damaged as an internet addiction. 
it's, it's harder and all the rest of it. There's all sorts of reasons why you might say, well, this is worse. But the outcome is the same. The outcome is the same. So old tech might need as much attention as new tech. So you may not think that you're using much new tech, but you're using old tech. And so how are you using old tech? TV's a bit old tech now, isn't it? Even in some ways, the streaming services. What content do you consume on your old tech? How often? And how does your time spent with any old tech at all compare to your time intentionally engaging with God? Now, new tech doesn't exactly throw itself off the shelf to us either, does it? But it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to because the average Australian spontaneously checks their phone 7.8 times an hour. So absolutely no need for it to throw itself. In fact, I carry mine around. I don't even leave it on the bench and wait for it. I don't even go pick it up. I just walk around with it and wait for it to buzz. In fact, my phone's linked to my watch. So I don't even have to pick up my phone. It just buzz, 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 buzzes and tells me all of this stuff. So if we're going to love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our mind, we need to take a serious look at the, what, the way we use tech and the impact it has on us. And I, who use it as much as I do, know it's insidious, absolutely insidious. And you'll be surprised if you honestly ask the Lord to show you about your use of tech. Well, maybe some of you won't, but a lot of you will. If we're going to do that, we have to be honest about the, tech, about the content that we consume. So have a look at your use of technology and have a look at Chapter 7 in Godly Habits and answer, what's your next step for managing technology? Even if you manage it well, what's your next step? So as we finish, we can't separate loving God with all our mind and all our um, uh, heart, we can't, but we can use our minds positively. We can use our minds to feed on the scripture and reject conformity to the world as we allow the Holy Spirit to transform us, to speak to us, to show us the bigness of God's story, to show us his plans, to draw us into a relationship to him that enables us to have a hope that we can share for the world. And we can use our mind and abilities to work for his glory wherever he places it. Even if all we do all day long because of some limitation is stay at home, in that environment, you can glorify God. How? God will show you. The centrality in that big story of Jesus Christ is our hope his death and resurrection, the centre of everything on either end of that story. And we can, make our, we can use our minds to increasingly appreciate what it is that he has done for us so that our hearts are increasingly impacted. Now we're going to finish by praying together and I have some words from Philippians here and we're going to pray, for each, pray it for each other. So instead of Paul saying... Um, telling them you're going to be thinking of the people just around you and uh, encouraging them and exhorting them so that through everything this is what they do and that's where we get the peace so that the mind of Christ our saviour through that peace is what drives everything that we think and do 
So let's pray together. Think about the people around you. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And the God of peace will be with you. Amen.